classes and those things, but, but hopefully at the same time you're excited to be back in school amongst your friends um, here at chapel this morning, and I and, uh, just want to welcome you guys back. Um, good song, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the song, that amazing love, um, how can it be that, that you, my king, would die for me? And so just a great, uh, a great reminder this morning as, as our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, has, has died for us and to, to make us his people. And so um, I'm thankful for the grace. And, and yes, um, in all that I do, I desire to honor. And hopefully that is our hearts as Christians is desire to honor um, the Lord God. So if you guys would turn, we're going to we're continuing on here in the book of Jonah, if you would turn there in your Bibles. And we are really kind of finishing up Jonah chapter 1 here. So I would like to just simply read the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll take a, a, a brief look at it. So again, if you guys would stand, I know we had you stand already, if you would stand and we will read Jonah chapter 1 together, and then we'll come back and take a look. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the, gr for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it, is as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish 
to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, um, we just come this morning. We ask, Lord, that that uh, your word, that your spirit would would open our eyes to your beauty, to your glory, to your mercies, Lord, that your word, your spirit would cause a, a repentance in our hearts. It would show us of, of, of our sin, our disobedience, of our evil that is, that is contrived in our thoughts and our hearts, the deep down parts of us, Lord. I pray that it would root us out, Lord, bring us unto a repentance unto you, unto life, unto Christ, find that there is mercy in Christ, and find that there is life in him, that, Lord, from the inside out, you would work for us to be obedient to you, and that we would be a people set apart for your glory. So uh, thank you, Lord, for this time. May your word go forward, and may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, to, to go back to some of the theme of the book of Jonah, Jonah is, and a lot of you guys have read Jonah maybe multiple times, maybe some of you haven't, but Jonah is about a prophet, which we'll see is kind of a, a reluctant prophet, and it's the story of Jonah, but it's also, don't miss that it is, it is a, gives us a picture of God as well. So I want us to, I want us to understand that, that, the, that the book of Jonah is giving us this this picture of the Lord, and one of the themes of the book of Jonah is, I'm just going to read here from uh, some of the themes that I've got here in my ESV study Bible, but it, one of them is, the, is God's boundless compassion, or God's boundless mercy and grace, um, not just, I know Mr. Zanger mentioned this as well, not just to us, but also available to them. So not just to us is boundless, merciful grace, um, but also to them. So that's one of the big things I want you guys to see is, is God's, is really God's boundless mercy. His immeasurable grace is what we're going to see in the book of Jonah to evil people, people that are, that are wicked and evil. And so what, what may it do into our hearts and lives as, as the Lord convicts us of of sin and the evil of our own hearts, may it cause us to go to him knowing, and we're going to see that hopefully, knowing that he is merciful, that he is, his mercy is boundless, that it is immeasurable, his grace is. And so I want us to see God's mercy towards even, even the evil. And it says this, but it's also the, our need for repentance. What you're going to see also in the book of of Jonah is our need for repentance, a heart of repentance. That's, that's, a, that's a godly person has a heart of repentance. A Christian has a heart of repentance inside of them. And so the book of Jonah shows us this heart of repentance. And sometimes, guys, sometimes we have, we are like Jonah, where we don't want to hear it. And the truth comes into our lives, and we want to just push it away, and we want to harden our hearts. But the need for repentance, when the truth comes and the Word of God comes and it convicts, the need to, to, to repent. And that is, guys, how God's mercy is brought to us. God's mercy is brought to um, the Ninevites. God's mercy is brought to um, these sailors that we're going to see today, but it's brought, he brings, his spirit works, and he brings us to a place of brokenness over our sin, and we go to no other place, we don't go to rituals, we don't go to any other thing, but we go unto the Lord, and the Lord has mercy on us, and that's what his spirit, and that's what his work is, I want us to see our need for repentance, and that God in our repentance is boundless in his mercy. And this is a, a theme that runs through the whole of Scripture. So you see it in the book of Jonah. You're, you're going to see it as we go through the book of Jonah. You're going to see that, that God is, 
not only is he merciful, he's great and glorious, he's sovereign, but, he, but he's merciful. We see that. And, and, uh, and it just runs through the whole of Scripture, the repentance and, and the mercy of the Lord. Um, I can just think of, as I think about this through the whole Scripture in the Old Testament, I think of David. David, who had committed adultery and even had a person killed in battle, like lied, did all this deceitful things and lied and killed. And then what God does in order to bring the mercy of God to David and to to restore David back to life is he brings a prophet. His name is Nathan. And the prophet tells him, he tells a story and says, and David's all angry at him. And he says, that's you, David. You know what does it, it cuts to his heart, the truth. The truth cuts to his heart. The prophet speaks truth. And what it does, it brings David to repentance. It brings him to understand, I have sinned greatly. And Psalm 51 is a, is a testament to that. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast law. Not according to my goodness, not according to my defense that I have, but according to your steadfast love. I think of that in the New Testament. According to the work of Christ on my behalf, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, um, be merciful to me according to your steadfast love, according to the good news of the gospel of the Lord, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it runs through that book, and the Lord restores him and, and leads him the way that he, it, it leads him to understand that was wrong. I, I want to walk with the Lord now. I want to honor him. All of his ways are good. All of his ways are good and, and perfect and right and pleasing. And so... It runs through, and, and if, if that, that's good news for us today. And I think about, as this, as this theme goes on through the scriptures into the New Testament, and Jesus, when, the, when Jesus comes, he tells a story to explain repentance. And he tells a story of, of, of a prodigal son. He's, it's not necessarily a, a factual, true story, but what he's doing, he's, he's teaching us what repentance looks like and what it is. And um, the story of the prodigal is this, is this man, is this son, who says, Father, give me my inheritance now. <clears throat> I want my inheritance now. It's almost like I wish you were dead, and I don't want to have anything to do with you, I want to go live life my way and according to my plans and what I want to do. I want to live as if you don't exist. And the prodigal goes out and he lives apart from his father, pretty much everything. And he's this, this picture of we're living apart from the Lord. And, and he goes out and he lives it his way and he squanders everything. Uh, and I think it was, what is it, prostitutes, lavish living, whatever. He, he squanders it and all this all this sin and all these things apart from his father. And then one day he is, he's, um, he finds himself squandering all the wealth of his father and he finds himself in the pigsty, eating there with the pigs. And in the middle of the pigsty, it hits him. In the middle of this difficulty, it hits him and, he, and it says he comes to his senses. It's like just the lights come on, and he comes to his senses, and he realizes, what was I, what am I doing? I had it so good in my father's house. What am I doing? And, he, and, and, and what he says to himself, he says, you know what? I, what I'll do is I will return, and what I'll say is, Father, I've sinned. And he's thinking this in his head. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Father. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as a hired hand. Treat me as a hired He's unworthy to come back to his father, and he's, he's repentant. He understands that he is, he's wrong. What he has done is, is, is wrong, wicked, evil, and he understands that, and he, and he comes to his sense. He says, I'm going to return. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm just going to, I'm unworthy. And... Um, That word unworthy, that, that idea of being unworthy before the Lord because of, because of our sin is, is, is part of repentance. It's, 
as part of understanding who we are. We're no longer worthy to be called a son. No, no, just treat me as a hired hand. And you know what he, what he finds when he comes back? He returns to his father in this manner as an unworthy son. And in the culture of the day, the father would not receive the son back. This would be, this would be preposterous. I, that's the right word. I'm, I, don't, I don't have a very good vocabulary. But that, the culture of that day. And so what, what we find in the story is that, is that when he returns, before he can even get a word out of his mouth, his father was waiting, looking, and he runs to his son, and he embraces his son, kisses him, and, and he's like, and the son says, so, he, so his father meets him, and the son's like, father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called a uh, a son, treat me as a hired servant. And the father says, says, get the robe and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Slaughter the fattened calf. For my son who was lost has now come home. And I'm kind of paraphrasing that. He's, he's come home. And it's this picture of he's telling the Pharisees the story and the, and the need for repentance. And that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people that need no repentance. There's joy in heaven. That's the picture of the Father seeing uh, as we return the, the, the mercy of the Father to a repentant sinner. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 55. And this reminds me of that. Isaiah 55, it says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Buy, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so the invitation is there to come. The invitation is there for us to come back and return unto the Father. Return unto the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation is there. And then he goes on in Isaiah 55. I'm going to skip down to verse 6. I don't know if you're there. It says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And so it's this, again, this idea of the, the invitation is there and it says, let the wicked man forsake his, forsake his way, his wicked way to understand that, yes, yes, this is like the prodigal. This is, I have lived life apart from the Father. I've lived life and doing my own way. And now the Lord has convicted me and now I forsake that. I, I, th- that was wrong. And now I'm going to return to my God, to, the, to my Father. I'm going to return. And what we find, guys, when we return is that God abundantly pardons. That's what the, that's what the good news is, is that God abundantly pardons. And he does that in Christ. His, his pardon comes to us in his Son. He sent his Son to pardon us, to bear our iniquity fully and satisfy his wrath, his justice upon a cross. And yes, the, the Bible and the scriptures testify to the one who repents that there is good news. There is, there is mercy, abundant pardon for them. And so I want us to see that, that these themes run through the scripture. And, and I just, uh, and on this on this Isaiah 55, this is just a, 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 few, a few sentences from uh, Albert Barnes is his name. He says this. this he's, he's quoting, or he's talking about Isaiah 55. He says this, is the language of those who have found mercy. The idea is that he who has, he who has bestowed mercy on us will be ready to bestow it on others. 
we have returned to God. We have experienced, we have experience of his compassion. And we have such a conviction of his overflowing mercy that we can assure all others that if they will return to our God, he will abundantly pardon them. The doctrine is that, that they who have found favor have a deep conviction of the abounding compassion of God and such a sense of the fullness of his mercy that they are disposed to offer the assurance to all others that may also obtain full forgiveness. And so it, it, it comes from one that, that knows the mercy of God and knows that if you return unto him, if you return unto the Lord Jesus Christ, if you repent and believe on him, that he will abundantly pardon. And that is, that's good news um, to me and, and also to, to go forth. So I want us to see that, that theme running through the scripture. We're gonna, we see it in the book of Jonah. And now going into Jonah chapter 1, just to kind of see and kind of recap to work our way back to verse 14. Um, if you look at Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. The word of the Lord. Um, and... God says, hey, here's a message, Jonah. I want you to take to the Ninevites. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And I, I think of Isaiah again, 55. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, um, say this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there to water the earth, making it bring forth, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which, which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the, the Lord gives him a word, and it's gonna, he has a purpose for it, and he's going to make sure, and we can see he's going to have mercy. It's, 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 it's a call out against their evil, but, it, but the plan is to have mercy on the Ninevites. And God has a plan for this word to go forward. Jonah, Jonah's going to run from it. Jonah's going to run from it. And what we see in chapter 1 is that God is going to make sure that this prophet goes and takes the word to Nineveh. He's going to make sure that he goes. So, so Jonah, Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. And then we understand verse 4, but the, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, the ship. So the Lord brings the storm up, and it's threatening to break, break up the, break up the uh, ship. And the mariners were afraid, it says, and they cry out to their God, they hurl all their cargo over to the ship, but Jonah was there sleeping, and it says that the captain came to him. They said, what do you mean, you sleeper, right? Why are you sleeping? Call out to your God. Perhaps that God may, may um, give thought to us that we may not perish. And then they cast lots. You guys know they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And they're like, well, okay, let's go to Jonah. And they, and they say, tell us who, so they ask him a bunch of questions. You know, tell us, you know, who are you? Um, you know, why has this come upon us? What's your occupation? Where you come from? What's your country? That type of thing. And, and Jonah says to him in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah, it's interesting because Jonah, that's true. Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord, but he gives true information here. He gives true information. He's running from the presence of the Lord, but he gives true information. Hey, sometimes that can happen, right? Sometimes... Right? We can have our theology and our doctrine right. It's correct, and that's good. We want that correct and right. But sometimes in the middle of that, we can be disobedient. We can be hiding something. We can be hiding something and be walking in disobedience to the Lord. So I can have the theology correct. Um, 
And so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is theology correct, but his running for the presence of the Lord is interesting. It's because he doesn't want to go to those Ninevites, and the Lord is calling him back to do his will, his good and perfect will. So my question sometimes is this, where is the Lord calling us back this morning into his good and perfect and pleasing will? Because I, you know, we, we got this doctrine, and then, and then the Lord is calling us to, to walk in his word, to walk in his will. And sometimes we can be hiding things. Maybe it's something you're hiding from your parents. Maybe it's a sexual immorality or pornography or something like that. We're walking in a sin has got a hold on us. It's got a hold on us. What we need to hear is the word of God, the truth, come and penetrate our hearts that the Lord might set us free. Jesus says in the New Testament, if you abide in my word, you are genuinely my disciples. They're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what will it set you free from? It'll set you free from the bondage to sin. It'll free us. It's like the truth, the light shines. And it's like, ah, you know, you're right. You're right. Lord, this is wrong. And Lord, I, 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 I need to turn to you for mercy. And, and Lord, give guidance to my ways. And, and, and lead me. And, and lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And, and, it, and it leads us back to him. And so I just want us to, one of the things, the questions again is, you know, what's the, what's the Lord working out in our lives today? Where is he calling us back to obedience to him? And it goes on here in verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he had told them that he's fleeing from the presence and they're afraid. What have you done? You're fleeing from, we know the lot is cast on you. We know you, you serve the God of heaven and who made the sea and the dry land. And now what have you done? You're, 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 you're fleeing his presence. So they're afraid. Then verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you what, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, so they know, throw me in the sea. Nevertheless, the men row hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It grew more and more tempestuous. They couldn't row hard enough. And then comes to verse 14. It says this, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Therefore, they, they tried everything they could. They called out to their gods. They threw all of their stuff overboard. They, you know, they're casting lots here. Jonah, what do you think? They, they start to, now they know why this has come upon them. And they start to row as hard as they can. And therefore, they came to the end. They tried everything to no avail. And it says, therefore, they, they called out to the Lord. The Lord, the God of Jonah, the God of heaven, who created the sea and the dry land. They call out to the God that Jonah said, and they call out to him, the Lord. And they say this. Look at what they say when they call out to the Lord. They say, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. This O oh Lord, there's some anguish in that, right? There's some anguish. They've come to the end of it. They have no way to kind of to spare their lives, and they come to this place, and they call out to the Lord, and they're like, oh, Lord, call out to Jonah's God here. And they say, let us not perish for this man's life. Let us not perish as a penalty for taking his life. Hey, if we've got to throw this guy overboard, let us not perish for taking his life. We see we must perish if we spare his life. So if we spare his life, we're going to perish. Because they see that the Lord has hurled this great storm upon the sea. So if we spare his life, we're going to perish. And then we also see, oh, let us not perish for taking away his life. Let us not perish for throwing his life in there. So they're kind of like, Lord, they're just, they're just calling out, uh, let us not perish for this man's life. And then they say, and lay not on us innocent blood. 
they prayed to God that the guilt of his blood might not lie upon them, nor be laid to their charge. So they're going to have to throw this man overboard, and before they throw this man overboard, they're praying, God, don't hold this blood against us. I think of David. He says in Psalm 51, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David was guilty of blood guiltiness. He was guilty of of having somebody murdered. And he calls out to the Lord and says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. And kind of like like we've been saying, you, you probably haven't committed this particular sin. You probably don't have blood guiltiness on your hands. But should instead take heart. If God can forgive David as he repents and comes to him, he can certainly forgive us. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the son that is sent from heaven, that God sent the son to bear, to become our sin and bear the justice and the wrath that that our sin deserves. And so we can see in Christ that God will and can forgive us in Christ. God can wash us clean completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they say, lay not on us innocent blood. And it goes on. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It appeared to them to be the will of God that he should be cast into the sea. From the storm, so from all that they kind of see, they see this is the will of God that he must be cast in the sea. From the storm that it re- this the supernatural storm that arose, from the lot that, that landed on Jonah, from Jonah's confession of who he is and what he is doing, they see that this is the will of God. So do not hold it against us, Lord. And so look at verse 15. What did they do? So they cry out to the Lord. They call upon him. Verse 15, so they picked him up, so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. God brought a calm to the sea. He brought an, uh, an, an eerie calm to the sea. So the, ra- the storm stops, and then look at the response of, of the men. Here they see this is the divine, this is the, this is the God of Jonah that did, that did this. In verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Then the Lord feared, or sorry, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Uh, this, this verse relates to the audience that the, fa- the fact that the events the sailors had witnessed were so awesome to have made a profound and lasting impression on them. So they get this, they get this, the events that take place bring about this impression upon them of the Lord that is going to have a lasting impact. Um, commentators, they, on this verse, they, they vary on whether these man were, men were truly saved or not. And so they, it, it doesn't give us a ton of information here. And godlier men than me say they weren't. Godlier men than me say they were. And what I am convinced of is that this is a profound and lasting impression that this event leaves on these guys. Because it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. The storm that they once feared for their lives now turned into the fear of the Lord. That is the reverent worship of the Lord. This is a high degree of reverence and awe for the Lord, uh, of, of worship unto the Lord. And, the, re, and the, the sailors responded to their deliverance in the only way they knew how. There's this reverence for the Lord. There's this worship of the Lord. And they say, it says this, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. This is a sacrifice of of gratitude, a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving for deliverance. So you can imagine what just happened. 
and it leaves such an impression upon them that they, that they sacrifice, they, they, they greatly fear the Lord, and then, and then they offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for deliverance um, from the Lord. And then the last thing it says, and they made vows. These vows were, were something of, of promises to bring yet more sacrifices to the Lord in the future. The mention of the vows confirms to the audience that the sailors' fear of the Lord was not short-lived. They took very seriously their newfound commitment to the Lord, Jonah's God. And so I think there's something to be learned there from these sailors that they're, they're kind of this, they're kind of this, uh, they're kind of in the story. They're not a big part of the story, but they come to fear the Lord, to offer sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to the Lord. They took their commitment to the Lord as serious. And it was not a short-lived thing. I think that's when the Lord brings us to repentance, he brings us to a place where, yes, we find his mercy and his deliverance from our sin and from the condemnation of our sin. But he also sets us on a new path in life. He sets us on a path where God is reverenced and, and Christ is reverenced and worshiped and followed and committed to. And though we fail, we continue to repent. And the, the life of a Christian is a life of repentance, is a life of restoration. God is a God of restoration. And, and it brings about this, this direction of life that my direction is now headed. His ways are good. I'm, I come to the realization that his ways are good. Psalm 19.7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul, that I begin to understand that all of the ways, guys, of God are perfect and right and good. Perfect and right and good. But yet, my sin, when I, when I go against them, is, is when I, that is what is wrong. That's what's wrong with my own heart. I live in a broken world. I live in a world where my heart is, is prone to wander, prone to sin, and, and where the perfection is, is in is in his word, it's in his will. The will of the Lord, guys, is perfect for us. And we commit to that. That was our desire. Lord, I want to know your will now. Lord, I want to know, uh, I want to know your will for my life and my family and, and in my work. And because and your will is perfect. All of it is perfect. And so we can learn something from these men that they go through this deliverance from the Lord. They commit themselves to the Lord God. And they find his deliverance as well. And then the, the last verse here, which could be a sermon in and of itself. I don't have time for, for that. But verse 17 some, if you go back into the Hebrew, it's actually verse 1 of chapter 2. But uh, verse 17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So he's thrown overboard really to his death. But the Lord now again here, the Lord is at work, and the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah's going to be there three days and three nights. And so, again, the overall th theme here is the word that comes to Jonah is going to go to Nineveh. God's going to make that happen here. And God's going to make that happen. So he's, this is not the end of Jonah. God actually shows mercy to Jonah. This is probably not comfortable in the belly of the fish. It's, it's, it's not comfortable, but God appoints this fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah's going to be in there for three days and three nights. And we're going to see next week what, what happens to him while he's in there. But um, Mr. Zanger, he, he mentioned this, this passage a couple of weeks ago. Um, but in the book of Matthew, Jesus also Jesus also mentions this as well in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. 
No, I'm wrong on that. Twelve, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Chapter twelve. And I'm just I'm not gonna go into all this passage because again you could you could do a whole sermon on this passage alone, but then it says in verse thirty eight, Matthew twelve, verse thirty eight says Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So they're asking for a sign. Jesus has given plenty of signs. This is not a, they're not, um, Jesus knows the heart. They're not sincere about this. They're, they're tra- trying to trap him. They're not sincere. But Jesus gives a sign. I want you to see that as Jonah was in the, f- the, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he says, so the Son of Man, here's the sign, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jonah, just to, just to, Jonah's kind of this picture, this, this shadow of Christ to come. And Jonah goes into the, into the seas, and he goes into the belly of the fish, but Jonah's guilty. Jonah goes there guilty, and, and the mercy of God swallows him up to do, and Jonah's reluctant. Jonah's fleeing from the presence of the Lord as he goes into this belly of the fish, and, and God's going to bring him back. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he goes into the, what does he call it, the heart of the earth, he goes in there innocent and blameless and perfect as the divine son. And then he goes in there fully doing the will of his father. It was the will of his father to crush him. By his chastisement comes our peace. And so Jesus, when he comes, when the Son is sent, Jesus is shown to be greater than Jonah, to be greater than all the prophets, to be greater than Abraham, and to be greater than Moses, because he is the divine Son. He is the very deity, the very Son of God himself. And he comes and he preaches repentance unto the Lord. And it is shown that Jesus, in this perfect relationship with his Father, he's equal with the Father, not in a rival sense, not like rival gods, like the Son is a rival to the Father. You know, like sometimes you see in those old, you know, the old, um, the the gods, you know, the, the Greeks and whatever, there's, these gods that are bickering and fighting back. That's not the picture here. He's saying they're equal in the fact that he's divine. Jesus is divine. And we have, we have a picture of the Lord in, of the Son. We have the greatest picture of God in the Lord Jesus Christ because they are equal and not rivals. He says that I do all that the Father desires me to do. Every word that I speak is what the Father desires me to speak. It is all a picture. So when we see Jesus, we see the will of the Father. We see the will of God. It's all perfect. And, and he says it because I love the Father and the Father loves me. It is a love relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father, the Son and the Father. And he, and he comes and the will of the Father is that he is going to be crucified. And so Jesus is going to, when he goes to Jerusalem, he knows his hour when his hour is to come. They are trying to kill him at different times. They pick up stones to kill him, and his hour has not come yet. His hour has not come for him to lay down his life. And, and, then, and then eventually his hour is going to come. And what he does is he, Jonah went into the sea, into the belly of the fish, and he was guilty, and he was fleeing the presence of God. Jesus was doing exactly his father's will. He went. He goes to, when his hour comes, he goes to Jerusalem. He knows they're ready there to kill him. 
They plotted to kill him. They've tried to kill him already. They want to arrest him, have him, have him killed. He knows what's coming because it's his father's will. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He goes. And he rides in as a king, fulfilling prophecy. This is your Messiah. This is the king just riding into Jerusalem for the last time. He knows it. Not everybody there knows it. And he goes and he gives up himself. It says, it says that he loves his own until the end. He loves them to the end. He washes their feet. He teaches them how to live in the end. He encourages them that I'm going to go away from you, but I'm building, I'm going to, where I am, I'm going to come back for you, and I'm, I'm preparing a place for you. You're going to be with me where I am. There's many mansions in my father's house, and I'm going to bring you there. So he leaves them with this encouragement. And, and the father, he, his will, and he, and he goes and he gives himself up to be arrested. He's innocent. He gives himself up to be arrested. Uh, Pontius Pilate knows his innocence. He knows it. He even says, this guy is innocent. I don't see any wrong that he's done. And he is going to be scourged, and he's going to be crucified. Jesus, his will is that he goes willingly as the will of his father. He goes innocent, and he's going to be crucified upon a cross. The Son of God is crucified, and it is the will of God to crush him. And by his wounds we are healed. It is the Son that has life. And Jesus goes into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of, of three days, or parts of three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, however you look at it. And he goes into the heart of the earth for three days. And he goes there willingly as a Savior. He goes in there willingly as the Son, and he is our Savior. He is the one that has life in him. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, he raises from the third day. And this is his sign. This is the sign that, that is to you, Pharisees, that is to us, that the, the ultimate sign, he did other signs um, throughout his ministry that show that he is the son, that he is the Messiah that was prophesied about. And not only that, he is the very son of God sent. And, and the ultimate sign is his resurrection from the dead. That he has victory over sin, that he has victory over death, and that he lives. And the picture then, or what he's saying is, is his ministry of repentance. His ministry was to repent and believe upon the gospel. Repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, what we saw at the very beginning, upon the mercy of God flowing to us in Christ. And so I want us to see that, that there's someone greater than Jonah that has come. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he even also calls us to a place of, of repentance and this into that mercy. And I'll just say this as I end here is that Jesus' ministry went to really everybody. He ate with what people called sinners and tax collectors. And some people were angry at that. And he says, you know what? I came to call sinners to repentance. That's why I came. To call sinners to repentance. So I'm eating with them. I'm calling them to repentance. And he also goes to the Pharisees and he says, he even speaks truth to them, and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. And he's, I got, what I want you guys to see is he's, Jesus speaks the truth. The truth has to come so that we can find the mercy of God. He gives them this option. He, he speaks this truth, and it can cut to their heart. And they can either do this. They can do one of two things. They can hate him for that. They can hate him and despise him and want to kill him for that, for saying those words of truth. Or 
they can fall down and say, you know what, you're right. Lord, you're right. I am a whitewashed tomb. I am like a whitewashed tomb. That I've got all this beauty on the outside and I impress a lot of people. And I, I look good to a lot of people, to, to these people, but on the inside, I'm full of dead men's bones. You're right, Lord. I am this. And it leads them to repentance. And some people will repent and find that there is life in Christ, that the Lord frees you from the bondage of sin to bring you into the family of God and to put you into a new direction in his life, in your life. And so I just want us to think about how do we respond to the Lord's call of repentance this morning? How do we respond to that? And a, I guess a question, I don't know if there's time for e-groups. It looks like I've gone over. Um, we may not have e-groups. If we do, a question is, is simply, what, what is the Lord doing in your life? What is he working in your life right now? Through his word, what's the Lord's word doing in your life right now? Is it, is it, is it convicting you of something? Is it encouraging you in some way? Maybe it's encouraging you. Maybe it's convicting you. Maybe it's both. But what is the Lord doing right now in where we hear it and listen to what he is working in our lives? Let's pray, and then we'll go on from there. Lord God, um, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for your compassion in Christ. Um, I pray that you would use feeble words to, to bring about people unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And that it would be for your glory, for your honor, and your praise would be seen as your work. And that life would come, true life, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage of sin, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the, the um, consequence of sin. And so I just pray that you would lead us unto Christ today, that you lead us to be a people that, that, in, that glory in the, in the mercies that you have bestowed upon us, your boundless love and your boundless mercies, that it would lead us to live a new life, uh, a life that calls others to the same mercy and grace in Christ, and a life that seeks to do your will, a life that seeks to take seriously our worship and our love for you, Lord, that we would hear you when your word speaks to us, and that it would accomplish its work in our lives today, to be a people that are set apart for you and for your glory. So thank you, thank you for each of the students here this morning. I ask your blessing and your direction into their lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.